So being around these students um, often has me thinking about when I was in high school because obviously that's what they're going through. And so there's a lot of times where I'm just thinking, like when they tell me things that they're going through, I'm like, oh, I remember, you know, things are different for sure, but they're not that different. And so um, something that this entire series of If has had me also thinking about is high school math. And um, I'm so glad Ms. Portier is not up there today to listen to this. <laughs> um, I was horrible and am horrible at math. And if you don't believe me, just sit in the youth room on a Wednesday night, and there's going to be a time where I'm trying to keep score or count students or do something, and I'm going to get it way wrong, and someone's going to correct me. Um, and I don't know how, but, you, okay, just for example, let me show you this picture. There was a time. <laughs> if you can see this, I don't know if you can see it from where you're sitting, but it is a projector screen. And there was a time a few years ago where I needed a projector screen to take on ski trip. And I looked on Amazon and um, I found one that was the perfect size to put in our trailer and take to the cabin. Um, but if you notice this picture, when I say the perfect size, I read the measurements. I thought about the measurements. Um, if you have ever been down to where Nancy's office is, that's that room. And that's that projector taking up that entire room. <laughs> that projector screen taking up that entire room. It was huge. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how, but I'm that bad at math where I can't even think of measurements and get them right. And so just needless to say, now before I purchase anything, I take the tape measure out and I'll look and see if it's going to work. But um, I don't think I'll ever be great at math, but there was a time in high school math. And somehow, y'all, I don't know how this happened, but I was placed in the advanced math class. And so I was like the lowest of the advanced math class, and I was always self-conscious, but it's just how it was. But there was one time where I felt like I got it. Like, I get this, and I understand this, and I remember that. Now, I don't remember the actual math problems now, but I remember that I knew it then. And so do you guys remember those if-then statements in math? If A, then B. If this, then that. And honestly, I don't remember anything other than it was an if-then statement, and I got it. But it made sense to me. It made logical sense. Um, and because that's something that in life we know. If you do this, then this happens, right? There's the action and then the reaction or the, the, the consequence that happens. Like if you stay up way too late binging Netflix or watching TikToks or doing something like that, then the next day, you're tired, you're exhausted. If, and some of us may have done this this week, if you go back for that second plate at Thanksgiving after you already had the whole plate, and, but it was just so good and you need some more squash casserole, not from experience, but if you go back and get it, then you're gonna feel it. You're gonna need like an acid or something, like it's not gonna be good. And so it's just, it makes sense. If you do this or if you don't do this, then this or this doesn't happen. And then there's this other one, and I want to see if you guys know it, because I told my sister as I was prepping this, and she didn't know it was a thing. If you know better, then do better. Some of us got it. Okay. If you know better, then do better. And just in the sake of transparency, since I'm up here confessing my uh, lack of math skills also, um, if you know me very well, and if you spent any time, amount of time with me, you know that I put the pro and procrastinator. Like, I've got procrastination down. 
No, like it's, it's way better than math. I can procrastinate anything. And so this statement really makes me cringe because I think about doing my undergrad online. Um, and if any of my college professors are listening, they're going to shake their head. I doubt they're listening, but if they were, they would be here going, yeah, I know she did this. Um, but the entire, the entirety of this undergrad degree. I was doing it online, and I was doing youth ministry. Some of the time, I was doing the secretary job. And to be fair, there were times where I would get behind, and it was just the the way life was. Um, But most of the time, it was because I waited to the last minute. And it's like, assignments due at 11.59. I can start it at 11. It may take three hours, but it'll happen. You know, it just works that way. I work better under pressure, is what I tell myself. Um, But every semester, I would say, or every quarter, I would say, this is the quarter. I'm going to get organized. I'm going to get it together. I've got my planner. I've got it highlighted. I've got stickers. I've got the whole schedule mapped out. And then one week went by. I got all the assignments in on time the next week. I'm already three weeks behind, and it's only the second week, and I don't know how it happened. But that's what I do every single time. And I knew better, but I wasn't doing better. And so this, this phrase just makes me cringe. Um, and I'm willing to bet that you have your thing, too, that you know you need to do, but you don't do. And I don't know what it might be for you. It may be that you know that for your health you need to do X, Y, Z, but it's just easier to not do it. It may be that for your marriage, you need to do this or that for your spouse to make things better and you're just not doing it. It may be that you guys need to do the assignment that was assigned before Thanksgiving. Let's do tomorrow. I heard somebody up there has that this week too. Um, And so I don't know what it is for you, but I know that you also have something because you're a human like me, that there is something that you know you need to be doing that you're not doing. And um, Jesus also talked about this, if we knew better, to do better. So we're going to, in just a second, be in John 13, um, verse 12. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles and get there, I'm just going to give us a little background as to where this is. If you're from a church background, you kind of know the scene. We're at the Last Supper. And um, Jesus has been talking with his disciples. This is the last time, like the last dinner that that Jesus is having with his whole group. And um, they're talking about a lot of important things. It's, you know, somewhat the final moments of Jesus's life. And he has a lot to say to leave behind. And in the middle of dinner, he gets up and he chooses to wash their feet. And in this culture, that sounds really weird to us because who washes somebody's feet at Thanksgiving? Anybody do that this week? No, okay, it's weird. We don't do that. But in this culture, if you think about it, they had sandals, they had desert, they walked where they went, their feet were just filthy as they went. And um, and so it was cultural norm to have like a basin or a bucket of water so that when your guests arrived, they could wash their feet. And in this time, specifically, it would also be that if there was a servant or one of the Jewish slaves in that home, that would be their job to wash the guest's feet. It was a job for like the lowest of the low to do for someone else. It was an act of hospitality, but it was also a job for the lowest of the group. And so if there wasn't a, a slave or a servant around, you would just do it yourself because it's not for someone else to do. And so the fact that Jesus did this, we know that Jesus was the teacher. They knew that Jesus was their teacher and their leader. We know now that Jesus is the savior of the universe. They may not have understood that then, but we know that Jesus was the most important person in the room. And Jesus is sitting there ready to to humble himself to wash their feet, 
So this is a big deal, and it's, it's mind-blowing to me. So <clears throat> there's actually a commentary that um, a guy named D.A. Carson wrote, and he said that there is actually no instance in either Jewish or Greco-Roman sources of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. This is the only record we have of someone who was above somebody washing the feet of someone who was below somebody, and it was Jesus that did this. So we get that context of like someone not doing something that's beneath them. In our American culture, we're really good at climbing the ladder, and once we get up there, not reaching down. Like, that's somebody else's job. I've already done that. And so we understand this, but here is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God in flesh, the creator of the entire universe, bending over to wash the feet and the dust off the followers, off of his followers' feet. This is the creator serving the creation. And it's just so mind-blowing that Jesus did this. So this is where we're at. That just happened. And we're going to pick up in John 13, verse 12. This is what he said directly after that. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So if everybody would take their shoes and socks off. Y'all don't want to do that? <laughs> just kidding. All right, so, um, so he says, just as I've washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And this whole like, passage, like I've said, I'm just my mind blown the whole time. But look at this last verse, verse 17. It said in the version we just read, if you know these things, blessed you are if you do them. In the ESV, actually, it says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And this one was my favorite. The message translation says, if you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. I, th I feel like we can relate to that kind of talk. If you know what I'm saying to you, act like you know it. Do what you said. Jesus is saying, you know better. And if you know better, which they do, they just, they've been walking with Jesus, they know better. Now do better. And what Jesus didn't say was, all right, guys, y'all have been with me the whole time. You went to that Sermon on the Mount. It was long, but you, you stood through it. Some of you took notes, and you listened, and you knew all the things, and you, and you just know everything I did. You guys are great. We're done. That's all you need to know. You're good. Jesus said, now that you know these things, blessed will you be if you do it, not just for knowing it. In this particular passage, Jesus is talking about service to others and humility. He's saying, like, just as I, your master, has, have lowered myself to, to you to serve you, you should also lower yourself to serve others. And there is a word that's being used here. It says that you'll be blessed if you do that. 
And the word for blessed here, we have such a weird understanding of blessed. I think in our culture, it's just, we don't really understand it. But the word that's being here, used here is makarios, which actually just means happy. And so Jesus is saying, if you know these things and you do these things, you will be happy. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you today that by serving Jesus, your whole life is going to be perfect. But I, Jesus knew what he was talking about. I've seen it in the lives of the people in our church. Like the people who kind of sat on the sidelines and they just kind of went to church like a lot of us do. They went to Sunday school. They, you know, they showed up. But one day they just, they realized it's time for me to, to do what I know. Like I've, I know all these things and now I need to do. And these people, their whole lives have been changed. They like have a totally new relationship with Jesus. They completely have a new understanding of who Jesus is. I've seen it in my own life. I didn't even think about ministry until I started serving in the youth ministry here when Mike Glover was the youth pastor. And I just filled in a few Sundays for Sunday school. And then God has just completely changed everything. And even science backs this fact um, that Jesus is preaching. There's a study that was published uh, this year in the Journal of Happiness Studies. And researchers um, looked at 70,000 subjects in the United Kingdom And they answered questions about volunteering habits and mental health, including the distress and the functioning of their everyday life. And compared to people who didn't volunteer, people who had volunteered in the past year were more satisfied with their lives and rated overall health as better. So like even science is saying the people who are serving are better off. Jesus is saying the people who are serving, that is when you will be happy. That's when your life changes. And I think that even though Jesus is referring to the immediate example of serving and humility, this relates to all of Jesus' teachings, everything that he's taught us. We can't just know it, and then that's enough. Think about this for a moment. What if Jesus had come to earth, and he walked around, and he did the Sermon on the Mount, and he told everybody everything, and he said, you should take care of the poor, and you should heal people, and you should perform miracles, and you should do all this. And Jesus himself never did that. What if Jesus said, I'm here to save all of mankind and lay my life down for you, and Jesus never did that? Knowing the facts does not change lives. Just knowing what we know will not change lives. It won't change our lives, and it won't change the lives around us. Knowing everything that Jesus has taught and never actually doing anything about it does nothing. And in James, it says this as well. So I know this, is, this applies to all of Jesus' teaching. In James 2, 14 through 26, this is a bit that I'm going to read. Just bear with me. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed and does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without, deads, without deeds is useless? 
Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, we get that, right? If there is, I mean, you can't just have a body without a spirit. So faith without deeds is dead. And hear me out, I'm not saying that you are saved by your works. Scripture doesn't say you're saved by your works. But a true faith that has been met with Jesus and changed by Jesus is going to react in deeds. It's going to react react in things being done. Our faith and all that we know must be followed by acting. It's not enough to just know it. So today I want to ask you, And I want to challenge you with this question. What do you know that you now need to do? This entire series, we've talked about all of these different ifs. We've talked about forgiveness within this. We've talked about loving others. We've talked about denying ourselves. We've talked about serving a lot in the last few months. But what is the thing that you have been hearing over and over and over that it's like, it's time to do it. It's time to put some action behind that. And it might be this specific example. And I know you guys are tired of us harping on people serving. Like, I get it. But I just want to take a second to say this. You guys saw these amazing students this morning. You saw them leading worship and being baptized. And they are changing lives because their lives were changed. They are doing because of the faith that they have. And you see that happening, and we want to see this happening. We love this. This this is what we're here for, for lives being changed by Jesus. But that didn't happen by one person standing in the room teaching them. It happened by many people, their Sunday school teachers, their small group leaders, the volunteers that pop in and say hey to them, their parents, their friends, loving on them, and Jesus pushing them. It took so many people to make that happen. And we can't expect this to keep happening if someone is not sitting in the kids' room teaching little children Bible stories about Jesus and teaching them that they can love Jesus so that when they get to this stage, they're ready to do something about that love they have for Jesus. And we can't have people's lives being changed if, now hear me out, this one's weird. If someone's not at the back door greeting people, and I know that sounds like I'm just saying hey to people, but when visitors show up and they're greeted with a warm smile and someone who they can feel safe with and they feel seen, then maybe they're going to walk in and their lives will then be met with Jesus and changed by Jesus. And, and we can't do these things without someone up in the sound booth and at the computer running slides and sound. And again, I know that sounds silly, but how many times have we been distracted by sound and media this morning? We have been able to focus on Jesus because someone's serving. We can't do it without someone in the back room doing the broadcast for the live stream that goes on Facebook and YouTube so that the families at home that just physically cannot get here so that they can dig deeper and know Jesus. Everything that we're saying here when it comes to serving is about Jesus. It points back to people's lives being 
changed by Jesus, and it's because of what we do. We have to do things for that to happen. It changes lives when we do and serve, and it points people to Jesus. It is all about Jesus. So maybe you're here, and you're tired of hearing this, the serving thing, and you're like, I'm serving. I'm serving in 15 different areas, and some of our people are. Like, some of our people are really serving in multiple areas, and I want to just say, like, in the middle of this, thank you to those people, because there are a lot of people that just do a lot of things, and um, Mr. Mark was even talking earlier this week about our food pantry, um, that there are people who show up to serve there, and there are people who show up to make bags, but even our entire church, when we couldn't get the food that we needed from Second Harvest, showed up with money and food donations and things that we needed. And so there are people serving. Don't hear me say that we don't have that. We are very grateful for the people that we have. But even if you are doing all these things, don't tune out because even you, there's something that you know you need to be doing that you're not doing, as we talked about earlier. Maybe it's that you need to forgive someone. And maybe last week while Jared was up here talking about forgiveness, you're like, hang on to the edge of your seat. Like, oh my gosh, can we get over with this? Because I don't want to forgive them. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going to get out of here. And you know that you need to, and you just haven't done it. Maybe there's something else that you, that you know, such as maybe God has placed an opportunity in front of you that absolutely terrifies you. An opportunity that you're like, I don't want to do this. I know that it needs to be done, but I don't want to do this. God, get somebody else. That's somebody else's job. Maybe it's time to say yes to Jesus and say yes to that thing. Maybe you're trying to hold on to control to something, on something, or with something. Where are my control freaks at? Please don't let it just be me. Okay, so you guys are with me on this. <laughs> don't point at people either. <laughs> you're going to get in trouble. Um, it's hard to give up control of things. But maybe we're holding on a little too tight and we need to just trust Jesus because his word says we can, because he's pr proven that he, he can, that we, we know that we can trust Jesus, so we need to actually do the actual trusting of Jesus. Knowing the facts isn't enough. Knowing the facts doesn't change lives. We can sit here week after week after week, and you can listen to every sermon that is spoken from the stage. You can go to Sunday school. You can go to Wednesday night services. You can even do the Bible study at home and the devotions on your Bible app. You can do all the things and fill your head with all the knowledge. You can go get a Bible degree if you want to, but that is not enough if there is no action behind what we're doing. That is not enough to change lives. What we have in our head is not going to change the lives as Jesus did.